Hello, and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. We trust you'll benefit from our unique lineup of CEOs, generals, and leaders from all business sectors. Whether you're an aspiring, inspiring leader or a seasoned leader seeking further motivation, this podcast provides you with practical life tips, sound wisdom, and world-class leadership advice. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Inspiring Leadership Podcast. I'm delighted to co-host this with my wife, Lee Bowman-Perks, and we have a very special guest, Justin Levine. Let me tell you a bit about Justin. Days before Justin's 21st birthday, his life changed irrevocably. A cough caused a herniated disc and subsequent surgeries all failing, resulting in paralysis and almost 18 months in hospital. Sports always been a key aspect of Justin's life, and it promptly became a lifeline for his career. In wheelchair racing, Justin has won 29 marathons across the globe. Justin is also the world and the European champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which we are very excited about, winning his second world championship this year in Abu Dhabi, where we're going back. In 2022, Justin and a friend completed the first non-supported crossing of the United States of America by hand bike, towing his wheelchair behind him. The over 3,000 mile journey was completed in 48 days, raising over 200,000 pounds for a disabled children's charity. Justin is a staunch activist for equality and human rights, and he works tirelessly to see fair treatment for everyone. A mentor to newly injured civilians and veterans, in 2019, Justin was named the top 10 most powerful and influential disabled people in the UK. What an honour. Justin Levine, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Justin. Hi, Lee. Yeah, it's really great to have you here. And just in the banter that Lee and I had with you beforehand, I know this is going to be a superb podcast. And it's particularly uh, around the theme of um, seven uh, Emirates in seven days, this, this cycle ride that we're doing, but with a whole load of different events about Ride for Unity. So what is it? What is it all about from your point of view, Justin? And what does it uh, what does it mean to you? I mean, for me, it's really about the power of sport. And sport is the most wonderful tool for people to get together and just have enjoyment and fun in their lives. It, it crosses all boundaries, all countries. It's just the most wonderful thing. And I'm really looking forward to the event. It's going to be wonderful cycling with you both. Uh, I know you're saying you may just be making guest appearances on some of it, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be an absolutely wonderful event. Yeah, well, you, you're going to be a hard act to follow. Um, I'll let, uh, Literally, Lee- we won't <laughs> see him for dust. <laughs> so, um, superb. And, you know, that Steve Jobs actually um, uh, said that you, you can't uh, connect the dots uh, by looking forward. You have to kind of connect them by looking backwards over your life. And so as you think about your the person that you are today and all the experiences that you've had, it's like... Um, what made you the leader, the the really inspiring person that does so much? We've just, both myself and Jonathan have been very inspired by all of the work and the giving that you do. What made you the leader that you are today? 
I mean, that's really kind of you to say, because I wouldn't necessarily see myself as a leader. Um, whenever I've endeavoured to start out with things, it's always just been to try and have enjoyment or to try and seek fulfilment in my life from whatever that may be. And it's just as a sort of natural consequence of the things that I've achieved that people have started to feel inspired and have seen me possibly as a, as a leader within the disability community, especially. Um, in terms of what I've done, as I said, everything was always just about trying to have fun. Uh, I, when I was younger, I wasn't necessarily too focused on particular things. Um, and sport really has been a driving force in my life to not just try and have a, a positive outlook on things and to try and be happy, but also just to have a focus and to try and achieve things. Lovely. Very good. A any more you want to ask on that one, Lee? I just, uh... No, I was just going to ask a little bit because let let's get to know Justin a little bit more. So who is Justin? Who are you? Tell us about your your story, where you grew up and, you know, what influenced and inspired you as as you as you sit here before us today uh so i was born and raised in london and in, in the uk um and sport was always a big feature of my life even at school um and one of the things which i always loved actually was being a chef uh, so that was one of my dreams growing up uh, a little bit odd but i always had a number of different jobs i was working as a chef working as a doorman for a bit um and then after I had started to set up my own property company uh, when I was 21, or just before I was 21, that's when things really took a turn. Uh, and that's when I had a cough, as you mentioned at the start. And that cough herniated a disc, uh, which had trapped some nerves in my back. And the following surgeries, uh, unfortunately, ended up with me being paralyzed. Um, so I've got a, a spinal fusion as well, which has got metal rods, screws in a cage to try and give me structural support. Um, but that was also a failure and just causes 24-hour-a-day pain. And the following time in hospital without any proper sort of rehab or care, I was really angry and I didn't really have any of the support that I needed. Um, and I felt like I was the only person that was going to be able to get myself out of that situation. And so it was really from a lot of anger uh, against the situation and frustration that I wasn't getting the care that I thought I was meant to get, that I started to try and push myself. And it was little targets that I used to give myself to try and get out of that darkness and there's a hospital where all of this happened, which uh, is Stanmore Hospital. Um, and it's built on a really big hill. It was actually built during uh, the Second World War. It was meant to house veterans when they were having their rehabilitation. And so it wasn't really designed unusually for accessibility um, or for ease of wheelchair users. So the first challenge that I gave myself was I wanted to try and push up this hill without any help. And I would try and do that every single day, no matter how difficult it was. I would just force myself to go up and up this hill. Um, and yeah, it was little things like that that I would try and use. Wow. Yeah, wow. superb. I have a picture in my mind of that, and I will use that the next time I, my PT is beasting me um, on the, the cycling machine or whatever, is that sheer resilience that you've got. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. Wow. And, and Justin, you you know some remarkable people. Um, Lee's personal trainer is quite a remarkable guy. I think, t t tell us about your personal trainer, Lee. Who is he? Oh, so um, oh, he is fabulous, actually. I love him um, on so many different levels and his family. Um, but he's UK's fittest man, I think 2020 or something like that. But he's one of the upcoming gladiators. Um, uh, so I'm very excited. He's going to be on the BBC um, in January. And um, but by goodness, he beats me. It's the first time I've sat inside a car and the, the car steamed up from, from within <laughs> from, from the sheer energy um, that was coming from me. But superb. Uh, yeah. But still need to learn resilience, I think, along the way. A lot I mean, to learn. 
he must yeah. be a really tough coach to follow if he's going to be one of the gladiators. Oh, most definitely. It's um, he's you know all the softness and sweetness that you see in the face. It's in reality, he's just like no, 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 <laughs> no sympathy. You do it. <laughs> yeah. Really? No, Zach George has got a great life story, and he's going to come on the podcast as well um, as our guest. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking, we're looking forward to hosting him. Um, all the things that you've done, and there's there's so many. I mean, you know, I've done two or three marathons, but I haven't done 29. Um, what's, what's the, so many things, it's pretty hard to choose among them, Justin, but what's your greatest achievement? And and what did that particular thing teach you? Um, I think there's been a few of them, actually. I mean, one of the ones which I always look back on quite fondly was my first ever marathon, uh, because it wasn't meant to be the marathon that it turned out to be. So I had decided to do the London Marathon with a friend of mine, and we were going to be doing it in our day chairs, which is, the terminology obviously for a normal wheelchair because normally when you do a marathon you're going to be in a racing chair so it's got three wheels your legs are tucked up behind you and you can go considerably faster than you can if you're in a normal wheelchair and my friend he unfortunately had to drop out about six weeks before the race and actually it was the the idea of doing anything for more than three hours I was just dead against so I thought I have to go get a racing chair so I can try and do it quicker than the three hours it's going to take me in my day chair um, and I managed to to find one i started training i had to qualify in a half marathon to get the qualification as the elite athlete in in the london marathon and that's when i was spotted by my coach at the time david weir um who was the country's most successful paralympian and i trained tirelessly i mean i used to go to regent's park at midnight because that's when i knew that the outer circle of the park would be close to traffic so i thought this is a safe place to train so i'd go there until two in the morning and just training every single day and it came to the day of the race and I wasn't nervous. Um, I've never really been nervous before any of the events I've done because I've always had the mindset that if I've put the work in beforehand, there's nothing to worry about on the day because whatever happens is from my own creation. And I started doing the race. Everything was going perfectly. Um, by the halfway point, I was on target to go sub two hours. It was going to be faster than I'd expected to go. And I was using these spoked wheels instead of the carbon fiber wheels, which most of the races had. And through my excitement, I thought I'm going to go really quickly now and I punched the wheels to try and go faster and I put my hand straight through the wheels the wheel on my right hand side exploded um the spokes went everywhere and I went from 20 miles an hour down to one mile an hour the organizers tried to pull me off the course um because obviously I had a broken wheelchair and I was so determined that I wanted to finish uh, I basically told them where they could go and I carried on crawling through the rest of the race um, making my way over to Blackwall Tunnel and some of the engineers that were working on the event managed to sort of rebuild my wheel a little bit so that I could get to the finish line. And I finished uh, eventually after about, I think it was three and a half or four hours of just dragging myself towards the end of the course. Um, and I was so angry. Everyone was incredibly proud of what I had done, um, but I was really disappointed and I was angry because what I'd been training for and what I was trying to achieve, I was raising money for charity as well. I thought that I let everyone down. And the following day, I went to an athletics track and I did the 26.2 miles just by myself. Just <laughs> angrily. The next day. Yeah, 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 I was furious. Uh, so I turned up at training, completed this, and then just went straight home without speaking to anyone. Um, so that's definitely one of the things that has always stuck by me. Uh, other than that, I mean, I have to talk about America, um, which was last year, at the end of last year. And it was completely unsupported crossing, just me and one friend uh, who's able-bodied. So he was riding a bike with the panniers, carrying our 
two pairs of shirts, two pairs of underwear, two pairs of socks, uh, which we would wash every night in the shower as we were washing ourselves. Um, and then me with my hand bike uh, and my day chair behind it. And that just from the journey, from the people that we met, uh, from just the incredible things that we were able to experience, I think that has to be one of the greatest things that I've done. Oh, that just must have been an awesome experience. And and as you say, that collection of experiences, it's just like it's going to be for Ride for Unity. We're going to meet some wonderful people. And you are the sum of the the, the five, seven people you spend much of your life with. And you seem to be choosing some awesome people, whether it be David Weir or other people uh, like Roger Gracie and people like that that you've met. You you do have good taste in choosing people who are inspirational. <laughs> And Chris as well. Um, wow, thank you for that. Of course, the Bayman Perkses. And of course, yes. <laughs> Lee and John of course. Perks, who are going to be joining you in the UAE. So over to you, Lee. Um, so, yeah, I just, uh, oh, I suppose there's a couple of things that's inter- interested me there around, you know, the the, the drive that you've had. And you've, you mentioned anger a couple of times. Um, so mm. when you're in the hospital and you saw something and anger drove you to just to move forward and then and then the same again just when something got in the way when the obstacle got in the way your attitude towards it was you know I'm going to do this and so I just wondered a little bit more I'd like to unpick it a little bit more because I thought that's really interesting where most people stop you you continued um what's behind that what what do you know about yourself that that got you there I mean, I suppose you could say it's just sheer stubbornness, I guess. Um, <laughs> once I actually set my mind on something, undetermined, no matter what happens, that I have to go through with it and I have to just, I have to complete whatever it is. Um, and for, I mean, anger, I actually found was quite a useful tool and a useful emotion for me to have. Um, people often shy away from some of the emotions which they have, but, you know, having that anger, also the sadness, um, and being able to to let go emotionally and being vulnerable enough to to cry in certain situations, those were things that that were helpful for me, um, and were tools that I could use to try and achieve what I needed to achieve. Yeah, lovely. And so, knowing that about yourself, and actually everything that you've experienced, what piece of advice would you do? You wish you had when you kind of started out when you were younger that actually you might even give to to young people now today probably the most important thing is just to try not to worry so much about things um you know no matter what bad thing happens in your life it's not a permanent thing it's always a transient experience and you will move past this and then once you have gone past whatever that devastating thing may be you look back and you realize actually my life hasn't really changed or my life has actually improved from the growth that i've had and the things that i've been able to learn um and pain is temporary it, it really is and also especially once you move past it you can't remember what that pain is like you can remember maybe some of the feelings around it and some of the things that you experienced but the actual hurts is no longer going to be there so to have the confidence to know that things aren't going to be permanent and that you can just try and enjoy life as much as possible that's definitely the advice that i would give myself as as a younger person and for anyone now beautiful thanks so much justin Great, great, great advice. And an interesting one that pain is temporary, but yet you, because of your disability, have had pain all your life. How do you manage to live with that pain? I mean, we had Lee's mum before she died. She lived with us for three years and she was in pain so much of the time, nearly all the time, wasn't she? 
Yeah. And, and, you know, there's morphine and there's various opioids and things like that. But after a while, they just don't even touch the side. So yeah. how do you manage that constant pain? You must have found a way. The fact that you talk of joy, but yet at the same time, that balance with anger. How, how do you how do you cope with pain? And, and what's your advice to others in the mindset about managing pain? It may sound contradictory, but actually the fact that it's it's constant pain, I find easier to deal with. If something is always present in your life, um, you just get used to it. I mean, it's not something that you enjoy getting used to or <laughs> you enjoy dealing with, but it's, it's in a way easier to control as opposed to an acute pain, like if you're just going to break your arm, that would obviously be awful. But if your life is just based around something which is there uh, and that is you know the, the baseline for your existence, I found that that was an easier thing for me to deal with. Um, also at my age, and you know, I'm 35 now, this all happened when I was 21, when I first became paralyzed. And I, I've been so dedicated, especially with my health and with my training and my rehabilitation. Um, whilst I'm young, I'm able to deal with this a lot better. I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I think that's also part of the reason why I've thrown myself into so many different challenges and so many different events, because I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do it for. And especially if I go traveling, for example, um, I mean, I went to Argentina a few years ago and a really beautiful area called Iguazu, which has got some of the largest waterfalls in the world. And it's not particularly accessible. Um, so it's just jagged rocks and a walkway to try and get down towards the waterfalls and towards the river. Um, but I knew that I really wanted to see it. So I dragged myself down there. I got burns on my on my lower legs and on my hands. Uh, some really lovely person gave me their socks as gloves to use as I was going the way down there. Um, but I'm not going to be able to do that in my 60s or in my 70s. And so that's why I'm really just trying to force myself to, to live as much as possible. Obviously, there are moments when the pain gets too much and it's really difficult to deal with. But that's just a natural feature of life. And for the moment, I've been able to manage with it. Wow. Well, I'm one of those old buggers in my 60s. <laughs> uh, you, you look forward to that and, and um i i wish you continued energy passion excitement about doing these amazing things you also will have come across many military veterans who are disabled through their service and getting blown up or shot or killed and, and i've had a couple like we mentioned harry buddha mcgar mm -hmm. uh, lost both his legs above the knee double double above the knee amputee but yet he climbed everest um and also i had another officer who got shrapnel in his throat which went down into his lungs and he died twice on the helicopter evacuating him but he's okay now and he cycled with us for help for heroes so again he was telling his story like you have a story and it's stories like yours and theirs that are so inspirational so thank you um my next question was really one about lee and i with our experience have designed a spiral leadership compass which we're going to be sort of using as we talk about these kind of themes when we're together um, about how we can help uh, ourselves perform in business or in life, the top of our game. One of the key ones is, is what we call the true north, your moral compass, your integrity, your values, your beliefs, what you will do, Justin, and what you won't do. So for you, what happened when you let your compass slip, when it didn't kind of work out and things didn't work out as you would normally have done? How did you get yourself back on True North? I actually think I've been pretty good with it. Um, and I don't think I've let my compass slip too much, especially not from a moral perspective. Uh, I've definitely I've definitely let certain aspects of my life fall to the side in ways that they shouldn't have been. Um, for example, when I started with my athletics career, 
I was so dedicated and so focused on just being an athlete and achieving everything and also having that drive from being in hospital and not wanting to be stuck inside and just wanting to see as much as I possibly could. I led a lot of my friendships and my social life um, actually fell behind. Uh, I wasn't going out and seeing my friends because I wasn't going to eat a meal with them in a restaurant because it wouldn't necessarily have been healthy enough or I wouldn't have had the money to do it and I wouldn't have wanted to see them because I needed to get up in the morning at night and early to go do my training. Uh, and I was so dedicated on being an athlete that I let all of the fun parts of life sort of slip to the side. Um, and I think that was one of the times where it, that would be my sort of moral quotient for me, uh, where I let my true north slip, because you need to have balance in life. No matter what you're doing, there has to be some sort of equality from every aspect of it. And yeah, actually, the thing that helped me learn that was just before the Rio Paralympics. Uh, so I qualified uh, as a marathon athlete. I was waiting to find out if I was going to be chosen. And I was training in Regent's Park, and then I got hit by an Uber driver in my racing chair. Uh, so that caused an injury. I went flying out of my chair. Um, I wasn't able to compete, and I got some neck problems after that. But actually, I then discovered hand cycling. I was then able to relax a bit and spend time with my friends. And it really let me realize how many of the things I'd been missing out on just by being so focused and dedicated on that one area of my life, when actually it's a holistic view that you have to take on all aspects of what you're doing. So continuing to join the dots then, um, what what gives your life meaning and purpose? And I suppose there is something around this unity. If there's ever somebody that we're speaking to, um, unity um, for you is really important, what that means and how that almost like feeds, fuels your life purpose today. So what is it that gives you um, purpose and meaning in your life? And how do you see that evolving? Uh, so one of the most important things, especially since I've been uh, become disabled, is to help people. Um, because of the situation that I experienced and because I didn't have the care and, and the rehabilitation and the support that I, I should have had, I don't want anyone else to ever have that sort of situation. Uh, so it really, it was through helping other people that I started to help myself, I suppose. Um, I wanted to try and give them different skills to be independently living, whether it be from sports skills or just being able to maneuver their wheelchairs or just how they could try and have an outlook on life that would be beneficial for them. That was the most important thing for me, just to try and help other people to make sure that they can achieve whatever it is that they can achieve. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be something really small. But if there's something that someone wants to do, I really strongly believe that people should have the same opportunities as everyone else. I'd love to celebrate some of the work that you do actually do here because you you do, you deliver beyond your own. You could have just focused in on, on yourself and your own life and your own circle of kind of influence and community but actually what you do is far more profound um you are leaving a legacy just in the work that you do um and your stewardship um really stands out for me in terms of the the way that you think about your role um in society um and so tell us a little bit about the amazing work that for example that you're doing in moldova and uh other aspects of your work that you do today so I really, I feel like I've got a responsibility um, with everything that I've done and, and with everything that I've been able to do. Um, I, I feel like it's a very strong responsibility to try and pass those skills on to other people. And with things like Moldova, um, that came because I was in, invited out there by the British Embassy. There's an incredible woman that has been the driving force for, for over a decade doing work out there called Jane Ebel. And she, I mean, she's a real force for good. Uh, she's absolutely exceptional. And it was seeing some of the work that she was doing that got me so inspired and also seeing the state of 
some of the children out there and and some of the access just to, to fundamental things that they needed to live, whether it be appropriate medical equipment or mobility equipment, which would actually fit them properly. Um, I, I really felt a responsibility that I had to do something, and it's been it's been one of the most rewarding experiences to to go over to Moldova and all over the world actually, and to try and help people because especially with disability, people view it in a country where they're not necessarily used to it in a not particularly positive way and more often than not it's not from any sign of malice or or from hatred or, or lack of understanding it's just from they don't understand it and they haven't had any proper experience of it yeah. um so no matter where i go regardless of where it is i'm quite often stared at because i will do things that most wheelchair users are not supposed to do i'll go up an escalator in a shopping center i'll throw myself down a curb on the street to try and cross the road and people seeing someone move so independently is quite alien for them. Uh, so by doing things and making it visible, I, I feel like it's really doing a, a benefit. So if I were to just do a quick shout out, if you would like to experience something different from other people um, that would just really move the agenda forward, or even people's experience who do have disability, what, what would that be? If there was one thing that people could do differently that would make the biggest difference, what's your thoughts? Uh, I mean, there's probably quite a few things, that, but the most important one, I, I would say, is don't treat us differently. I mean, it's one of the things that I've really loved about jujitsu. The moment I joined this academy, no one was looking at me like I was, I, mean, I hate to use the term, but like I was an invalid that wasn't able to do anything. They were always trying to get me involved. They were trying to adapt to everything. And some of the professors and high-level black belts, they actually saw it as an amazing opportunity to try and improve their own game and their own understanding of their sport. So by not looking at the disability, not focusing on that, and a lot of disabled people, um, you shouldn't refer to it as, as a disability because my disability is only apparent from the environment that I'm in. And if I'm in my racing chair, if I'm on my handbike, I'm far more able than most able-bodied people. So it's only the environments that we're facing that are really the disabling factor. Um, and so I'd say just treating us like we're normal people uh maybe don't approach uh, someone with an impairment and immediately ask them what happened which is a daily occurrence for most of us um but yeah just to to not wrap us in cotton wool and just treat us like we're human beings yeah beautiful thank you jonathan well no i think you're going to have to talk more about jujitsu Oh, well, I thought it leads nicely into health and well-being. We can do that after. I'll do the health and well-being. So, but I am curious about jiu-jitsu. Now, again, I'm trailing far behind um, yourself and the jiu-jitsu front, but I hear you're um, actually being trained by the best or one of the best in the world. And so tell us a little bit more about um, your jiu-jitsu, because I know that for myself, my daughter, um, it's really empowering. It's like you, the confidence is not just about the sport, but it's uh, the intentionality around it, about what it does internally to you that has a moral code. It's um, the way that you think about yourself, the, the environment around you is very special um, and transformative in terms of actually the way that we even kind of just walk a little bit more confidently when we come off the mats and things. But tell us a little bit about your, your jujitsu experience. Uh, so it all started in 2018. Um, one of my friends that uh, was just about to receive his black belt from Roger, who I'm incredibly fortunate to train with, uh, he suggested that I come down and, and just give it a go. And it was just meant to be as a trial session, something which could be a little hobby. Um, and I ended up falling in love with it and actually being quite good at it, uh, which is what happened with so many of the sports in my life. And one of the things that I really loved was 
every single support that you do as an athlete with an impairment is requiring another piece of specialist equipment. So for Ride for Unity, I'm going to be having my handbike out there, which you know takes three months to build. If anything happens to it, it takes six months to replace, and it costs fifteen thousand pounds. You can't go to any shop and buy it. It's a completely bespoke piece of equipment. With my racing chair that I use for marathons, the wheels alone are two thousand pounds. But with jujitsu, you just need a gi. It's a hundred pound piece of equipment that you just turn up and depending if you're doing nogi, you don't even need anything at all. So being able to be truly reliant on myself as an athlete, um, as opposed to the equipment, which is enabling me to take part in the sport, that was one of the most freeing things I found. And it's something which, especially a lot of swimmers uh, I find with impairments have found that they get into the water and because they don't rely on their their mobility device or their, their artificial limbs, it's much easier for them to relate and feel completely free in, in whatever that sport is. And jujitsu was so welcoming. And when I turned up, there were people you know, from the age of five going up to 80. And everyone was still able to compete with each other. Everyone was training with each other. It didn't matter what their backgrounds were. It was just such a, an equal place. And it was a fun place. You know, you've got the banter where people are having fun and laughing with each other and just talking about anything at all. And it's also really tough. And I loved that challenge of, you know, obviously with my impairment, not being able to use my legs and my hips, how was I able to adapt to the sport? How was I able to work it for me? And it's just something that I fell in love with. Uh, and I feel so privileged that I've been able to train with Roger Gracie at his academy and with all of the professors there and all of my friends there. It, it's just a really wonderful environment. Superb. Well, will you promise me something that when we go on our seven Emirates in seven days, um, that you teach me a few moves because my five foot daughter Alana keeps choking me out every time we get on a mat so I need a few moves to actually return the favor <laughs> oh I mean it's, it's a bit weird to get advice on how to beat up your child but I'll happily help out <laughs> <laughs> wait till you meet Alana she's a she's a firecracker <laughs> yeah, they're both mother and daughter on it's hilarious watching them uh, uh before Alana broke broke her foot um uh, with them when they were fighting because they'd fight with each other and and Alana's a bit like a, a spider monkey and she just would be all over <laughs> Lee and Lee was throw her and and rolling it's very funny but I I do love the um the the understatement and this is one of the things that many people including our, our mutual friend Daniel Bernard said that um your modesty and your humility does stand out for me and uh I love that line and I'll never forget it that um yeah, I found jiu-jitsu and, and I found that I was quite good at it. Yeah, okay. World and European champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, quite good at it. I mean, <laughs> what's the rest of it like? So, but that is lovely. But the other thing that struck me is that at 35, that drive and that determination to overcome situations and also to to want to be viewed as just the same as everybody else, it's just the environment you're in, is really healthy. And I know so many 30-year-olds that they're so focused on themselves that to actually even get themselves out of bed and, and get a day done, get out of the pajamas and do something is rare. And here's you doing, you know, 3,000 miles across America. It's it's really inspiring. So so I just want to say that. Thank you. Let's talk about health. Um, you know, further on from the the uh, the crossing America and the marathons and things like that. As, as Lee mentioned, I'm fascinated by the whole topic of health and well-being and um, Lee and I with our personal trainers and, and, and eating a healthy, healthy, specific weighed food and things like that, that we have for each meal and what we're having, the proteins and things like that and the nutrition and supplements. What's um, a tip you'd share with people about, you know, 
maybe diet and and supplements and food you know, just a little bit of experience there and also you've had to combat depression dark moments real anger feeling of being let down by the system and not looked after how do you look after your mental health so let's let's talk about food supplements that kind of stuff on physical health and keeping your physical health but then let's also talk about mental health so from a sort of diet perspective and a food perspective uh, i don't think there's anything you can ever beat than just having natural whole foods um so trying to as, as few things from a packet as possible as few pre-prepared things and really just focus on having i, I know it sounds like a cliche but eating the rainbow have as many vegetables as possible um i actually eat very few fruit uh, i'll mainly focus on berries um but i try and limit the amount of sugar that i'm getting unless it's at a particular time of the day or around heavy uh, aspects of training um that went completely out the window by the way for america because we survived just on bottles of diet coke and sour patch kids for the entirety of the challenge there was just nothing else to eat and we needed the carbohydrates to get into us um but uh yeah really just have as many whole foods as possible try and cook everything yourself um i mean i really enjoy cooking so that's not really a chore for me at all but yeah if it's from a packet avoid it try and have some sense of a plan that you're doing i mean you say that you're you're measuring everything to try and see your protein carbohydrates and fat intakes that's a really useful thing to do um but i think some people can go too far uh, that way and start to have a bit of an unhealthy relationship with food so just to always remember that you know the food is fueling you and if you are going to do a diet for example you're you're not dieting to necessarily just lose weight but maybe just to change your body composition is a healthier way of looking at it and treat your cardiovascular system as a way of improving your heart and your lungs treat your weights program as a way of changing how your body looks um and the food is just to keep you healthy and to to just enjoy life because food is delicious um so yeah don't don't cut out too many things and before we go to the mantle, I must say that, that there's a, a few pictures of you in your in your um, marathons in the chair, and and you have got biceps and a chest that looks like Zach George in um, you know in winning the 2020 uh, um, fittest man in the UK. I mean that that takes some building up, doesn't it? What do, what do you do to to build up such a, a torso and such such arms? How do you do that? Yeah, please so do share with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a wheelchair you can borrow if you want. Um, <laughs> so actually, in the early stages, I didn't really do much gym work. Um, everything was almost entirely from being in the racing chair and being in the day chair. And that puts so much stress on your shoulders, your delts, your triceps, your biceps, that naturally they would start to get refined and, and start to get built up. Um, I put a, a lot of emphasis on calisthenics. Uh, I feel like if you can move your body, then that's the most important thing. But also to try and have strength in the extremities of your range of motion. So for me, there's no point being strong if you're only strong in one movement. You need to be strong in all movements and then safe in all of those movements and keep flexibility. Uh, so a lot of resistance bands. Um, I've got a routine which I use every single day to try and keep my shoulders and my wrists healthy. Um, also with the diet, you need to have lots of oily fish, uh, lots of CLA, which is conjugated linoleic acid to try and help the lubrication of your joints. Um, because obviously anything that you're doing is just going to be in, impacting on them and you need to recover as best as possible. But yeah, the calisthenics and resistance bands were the main thing. I've started as I've got older to focus more on some strength training and using weights um, because it's just good for your bones. And, and naturally from sitting down, you don't have the best bone density. Uh, so anything that I can do to try and prevent that and slow down the aging process, I'm, I'm really focusing on. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting you say that. Um, I, I'm taped up on my shoulder at the moment. I saw a physio last night because, 
in doing my my workouts, what I hadn't realized as I was I was um, doing so three weight session a week and then some a few cardio is that I was sort of born or developed what they call a winged scapula, where mm-hmm. my left my left scapula sort of sticks proud. It doesn't move very easily like the right one does. And after a while, it just literally went into utter spasm, the muscles between the the back and the scapula. And I was in agony. Anyway, this guy sorted me out, um, Joshua, who's uh, from the Caribbean, amazing physio. Um, But he put some tapes in place just to to do that and a few exercises to work on. And and I hadn't really realized just how important it is, back to the form again, isn't it? That if, if something is just slightly out and you continue to do your training, it will then one day, it will go enough. And it will yeah. really just go into massive spasm or or you could rip it or injure it. Any, anything you've experienced like that? Yeah, lots of things. And one of the things which I don't do now, when I was a little bit younger, I'll try and lift as heavy a weight as possible. Uh, so my bench press at one stage, I was able to do 180 kilos, which oh. sounds impressive, but actually it's pretty stupid. Uh, no one needs to lift that much. It's just completely unnecessary and your risk of injury is so high from it. Uh, so instead I focus on lower weights, just being able to move them quite a lot, uh, having them in a controlled and stable manner, um, for your shoulder, actually, one of the best things that I've found is just hanging a, a dead hang from a bar is one of the best things for shoulder mobility that has helped me. Um, and also getting a bit unusual, get a broomstick. Uh, and I drew on a broomstick one centimeter going each way. Um, and I would try and hold us at the side and pull it back around my my back. And every day I'm trying to get closer and closer with my hands together. The world record is about 34 centimeters. Uh, I'm oh. not quite close to that. Um, but different things to try and help with your mobility, I think is really important. That's very good. So that, that kind of gives you that mobility, which you, I can't do right now, um, because because you, you do need it. That's really great advice. Great advice. I think, yes, there is this almost machismo around trying to push as many weights as you can. But actually, if you, as a friend of mine who played rugby for England schoolboys, he, he was massive, huge body and big legs, but he could hardly cross his legs over. And, and he didn't have the flexibility because he'd got so muscled up that, yeah. that wasn't the range, as you say, that on the extremities, there wasn't that range of, of movement. Interesting. And I see so many people in the gym that can lift huge weights, but then you ask them to do a pull-up and they can't do it. So you ask them to do some press-ups and they struggle to do that properly. And if you can't do those things, then I just think you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Well, this is where Lee's uh, trainer, Zach George, comes in with his CrossFit because they do everything, don't they, you know, in CrossFit? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a, you know, it's a mixture, was it, between gymnastics? Like gymnastics and, yeah, a whole sense of mobility and, and cardio and strength and... Um, but yeah, they, they also do phenomenal weights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, very yeah. massively impressive. So thank you for that. And um, before I hand over to Lee, mental health, and then Lee's going to talk a bit about resilience, but what about, what's your tip from experience? You've been through those dark, dark moments of the dawn. What, what's your advice on how, handling the mental health and not popping the pills? Number one most important thing for me was getting outside. Like regardless of how I'm feeling, regardless of what the weather is like, I have to get outside every single day, just whether it's seeing a bit of sunshine or even if it's at night, just trying to escape whatever environment you're in, because especially with forms of depression, um, and especially for myself, you know, it's something which I still struggle with today. And if I'm just stuck in the same environment, nothing is ever going to change. So by having a different scenery, having different smells, different sights to see, and just trying to move outside and and breathe that fresh air, I've always found that that was the most important thing uh, and the most beneficial thing to, to try and help me. So that would be my best advice. Just go outside, even if it's five or 10 minutes, just try and do something. 
So wise. And and Lee and I always have the highlight of our day, or many highlights of our day, is often we go out for our walk with our dogs first thing in the morning or last thing at night. And sometimes we because the, the dark nights come in in the in the UK at this time of night, um, we're, we're out there with head torches. But we're we're walking along the canal with with the dogs, and it is just we come back bouncing, don't we, Lee? We do, yeah. We it's it, it's superb actually. It does really encourage you to get out, you know, with the dogs, no matter what the weather, and um, and we enjoy our conversations together, that bounce between each other as well, just to be in a very different environment. So absolutely, um, and just on the 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 topic of resilience, so we kind of talked about mental resilience there. And uh, I was at Talib, um, Nassim Talib in his book, um, Antifragility, um, Antifragile. So it talks about it in a way that's about beyond resilience. It's kind of um, antifragility is not just about the robustness that you need, but it's about because um, that's just kind of responding to the shocks, but staying the same because it's so resilient. But it's actually antifragile is 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 getting better as a result. And I, what strikes me is in this conversation today is it's almost like it's not about resilience for you. It's about the learning and the getting better and that anti-fragile component that you you just adapt, you shift, you you grow. So talk to me a little bit about that growth and the 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 resilience and anti-fragile state that you just keeps pushing you and drives you um to do new things. I mean it's uh I suppose part of it is just a refusal to give up. Um especially I've experienced so many people through my mentoring that if they've had not necessarily paralysis, but any form of injury, it's suddenly the end of everything that they're doing. And they lose all focus, they lose all hope, um, and they go into a, a really deep spiral of, of depression. And it's it's perfectly normal. It's a very natural thing. I suppose if that didn't happen to you, then actually that would be very unnatural. Because if you have a, a really devastating life event, then you should feel like something bad has happened because then you can try and get out of it. But for me, I've just always wanted to push forward. I've always refused to to allow what happened to me to be the defining moment of my life. Um, and even though a lot of people may view it as something which has then made me and enabled me to do lots of things and, and to you know go around the world and, and achieve so many different things, for me, it's life is so short and you never know what is going to happen to you. I mean, at 21, two days before my 21st birthday, this changed my life completely. And... I had a, a, a quote a, a long time ago, which is everyone has got two lives and your second one begins when you realize that you, you only have one. And that sort of stuck with me. And so I've always wanted to just drive forward. Uh, I refuse to just lay down and accept what has happened. And I just want to experience things. Like there is so much beauty in life. There is so much joy in life. Uh, I've been so fortunate with the experiences that I've had and the people that I've met that I just want to keep on having more. Um, it's so fulfilling and it's just, it's fun. Lovely. And also, you've just um, alluded to the network of people that you have around you. So in those moments of need, it's just the part of the resilience is the resourcefulness. Um, and so just talk to me a little bit about that network and and how that's built you up as well. Well, it's, uh, it's not just resourcefulness, but it's also grounding. So one of my favorite things, and sometimes people view this in a bit of a weird way, but when I won my first international marathon, which was actually the Dubai Marathon in 2014, I phoned up my best friend and I was so excited and I said, you know, look what's just happened. I just won my first race. And he said, that's great, but you still can't walk. And some people find that really offensive, but actually I found it hilarious. And <laughs> that's exactly what I needed to have that sense of humility, to have that sense of humor from the people around me. It's always kept me grounded. It's always let me enjoy things. 
And that's been the most important thing from my network. We just, we have fun with each other. And nothing is about, you know, what everyone can do for each other and from a business perspective. It's just about you have fun. You can communicate. You can be humans with each other. And that's always been the most important thing for me. And it's one of the things I love from jujitsu. You know, the sense of humor that people have, and especially with some of the veterans that I've worked with, you know, it's, uh, for most people, it's quite uncomfortable to hear the conversations that we have. But it's, yeah. it's great. I, I love it. We love it. Um, and as I said, life is about having fun and being able to be open with people. Because if you can't be open, then what's the point? You you do uh, remind me of someone who has served in the force. Even though you haven't, you you you, you come across as someone who has. And I uh, thinking about the, the humor and the banter that they have where they're quite cruel to you. I remember saying to someone after I'd left the army, I got this job as a, a managing director of a, a born executive coaching business. I was terribly proud of this. And um, and I said, you know, how much trouble they'd had in choosing somebody and then had lots of candidates and none had kind of worked out. And my friend said to me, Jonathan, he said, don't get carried away. He said, they just said to themselves, Look, I don't care. Whoever the next person is who walks the door, we're just going to take them because we've just tried so many different people. None of the work. So it doesn't matter what they're like. We'll just take the next one. I went, oh, OK, thanks. <laughs> and then we <laughs> all with laughter. But I do think, you know, it's a bit of a lesson for me in my life. I, I have to take myself way too seriously. And I think it sounds like Justin at times you have, but now much more lately, you've got this really healthy um, balance where you describe yourself as quite good at something like 29 marathons. Um, and, I, and I don't mean that in a way that some people can be, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking sort of, over humble like, like you know what, what did you do oh just i like, climbed this hill well it turns out to be everest you know and like come on you know like so you're not even over you're not even underplaying under indexing just just putting it in the in the perspective and i love that but but that's all sort of part of your legacy to do so much at just 35 i'm reminded of my old company sergeant major david cox who lee and i went to meet at our 43rd platoon reunion and we had a whole gathering of guys came back together and um, he'd uh, he'd said to one of our, our guys, Mr. Riddock, Alan Riddock, who sadly has passed now, but uh, he said, Mr. Riddock, sir, you're a legend in your own lunchtime. Um, <laughs> I think you meant that as a Mickey take, but, but you're a legend in your own lifetime. I mean, you've achieved so much and yet you don't see yourself and you haven't got the arrogance. And I do love that. What, what do you see? your legacy being in the future you've already created legacy particularly with the mentoring that you do for other people veterans and other people who who have lost the mobility they originally had but what would you like your legacy to be when when sadly we do have to say goodbye to justin levine what would you like people to say at your funeral um well, i mean first of all thank you for all of that because i still see myself as a work in progress and we, we are. We are. I, I actually hope that i'm going to be a work in progress throughout the entirety of my life because i never yeah. want to stop growing um at my funeral first of all i want people to have fun uh not be too sad it should always be a celebration of life uh no matter what the person has done or who they are but the legacy that i'd really like to to leave uh, and one which i feel is starting to improve is really how people view disability um and the things that people can do the perception of of what life as a disabled person is actually like because it is very difficult um there are so many different challenges and obstacles that you face but a lot of them i think can be fixed uh and maybe that's me just being overly positive 
but I really do think it's achievable and it's achievable within my lifetime that people can have a completely different perception on disability. We can have more universal design in, in the places that we live so that everything is accessible for everyone, not just if you've got a mobility impairment, but if you're blind or if you've got hearing impairments, um, even as everyone gets older and people start to maybe develop dementia or Alzheimer's, there are so many things that can be done to try and help everyone. And I think it's really focusing on that humanity aspect, uh, which people seem to have lost a little bit. And that's the legacy that I want to, to try and leave, that everything is really achievable if people work together. Lovely. Yeah. There's a quote by Mark Twain, which is, you know, the, the two most important days in your life, the, the day that you were born and the day that you found out why. And I think what is well, so lovely with your legacy is that, you know, so many people are impacted by you now with so much life yet to live and yet by by now so many people are experiencing the impact of your your legacy and so um it's very special uh to to hear and see um, and not to be underestimated so um i'm looking forward to following your journey as you continue to do great things um in the future and so as we think about um legacy and making an impact and togetherness um Ride for Unity, the thing that's brought us together as a group, actually, these amazing new networks, new people with a common cause, uh, something at the core of our character, who we are, what we stand for, the difference that we want to make. It's, we are so privileged to, to be meeting people like you, um, Justin, um, and the rest of the team. And so as we think about Ride for Unity, what is it that you kind of see yourself really contributing to over the course of that time across the UAE and, and the impact that you're going to have just in that very special time that we're going to have together? So I think one, one of the main things is just visibility. Um, as you said, we've got such a, a wonderful, diverse group of people that are going to be doing the ride. And as a hand cyclist, and this is something that I experienced in America, you're a bit of a novelty. People don't necessarily understand what you are. A lot of people don't necessarily realize that you're disabled when you're in a handbike. Uh, they just think it's another form of exercise equipment. So to have the visibility of that particular equipment and with the UAE, you're also not disabled. You're a person of determination, which is something which I really love because they've spun that and that's the, the view that they have on people with impairments. And to show that everyone can be determined and everyone can achieve what they want to achieve that's something which I'm really looking forward to. Also, it's going to be a really fun event. Uh, it's going to be tough going from some seven different Emirates states in seven days. Uh, but I think it's going to be really enjoyable. And I hope as many people as possible that can maybe see the ride can come and join us. That was actually something quite nice about the Dubai Marathon when I took part. You had people on the side of the road that were trying to run next to everyone or riding their bikes next to one. And there was a real community sense with the sporting event. And sport is, is so large in, in the UAE. I think it's going to have a really wonderful legacy and impact. Lovely. And alongside the, the cycling, of course, there's lots of different speaking opportunities and um, with schools and universities and, and business leaders. So um, what, what about that? What, what, what will you be contributing there? I'm really looking forward to speaking with the schools, um, especially if there's an opportunity to do Q&As. Uh, that's, that's one of my favourite things, especially going to school kids. Um, I've always been asked the, the funniest and the most inappropriate questions from children. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that. One of the, the best ones I've ever had was I did a talk at a school and it was with a group of about five and six year olds. And one of the kids at the end, and this was in front of all of the parents, all of the teachers, he said, oh, you can't walk. And I said, no, I can't. And he just took a moment and then said, but when was the last time you tried? And I found it hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I was really embarrassed. The teachers were really embarrassed. 
but it's that sort of openness that you get from having Q and A's with children. I'm really hoping we're going to have something like that there. Uh, Superb. Absolutely love it. Um, yeah. yeah, we've got this to look forward to with our grandkids as well. <laughs> more and more. Um, thank you, Justin. Jonathan. Yeah, well, Justin, this, this has been an absolute joy. Um, we're now going to go into the um, what we call the two minute top tip. It's part of this recording, but also it stands in its own right on that um, that social media device called LinkedIn. You remember that one you used to use a few years back? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, so uh, it'll go out the day before it goes live uh, for you. So if you just now introduce yourself, say who you, your name, um, some of the things that you've done recently, a little thumbnail sketch, some of the achievements you've had, um, and that you're you're taking part in the Ride for Unity in the UAE, Seven Days, Seven Emirates. Uh, and then give us your top leadership tip, and then we'll wrap up, and Lee and I will say thank you and goodbye. Over to you. Okay. Uh, well, my name is Justin Levine, and I am an international wheelchair racing athlete and disability rights activist. I've won 29 marathons around the world, uh, two-time world champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and last year I completed the first ever unsupported crossing by handbike of the USA, traveling from Miami to Los Angeles in 48 days, raising over £200,000 for a disabled children's charity. I'm going to be completing the Ride for Unity uh, for seven days, seven Emirates in January with yourselves. And one of the top leadership tips that I could give is accountability. I've always struggled a little bit with focus in my life um, and accountability, especially from a sporting background, having that impending event of knowing that you've got something which is coming up, you have to achieve within that event because there's nowhere to hide. If you're going to turn up at the start line and you haven't done your training, then you're just going to be failing. So having the accountability of a deadline or whatever that target that you want to achieve is has always been the most important thing for me. Yeah. Well, look, uh, Justin, thank you so much. Um, Lee and I, over the years, have done about 300 uh, podcasts like this. I think this is one of my favorites. And just knowledge, skills and attitudes stand out. Your attitude is just one to completely admire. And I've really enjoyed it. And I've, I've loved co-hosting it with Lee. But Lee, what's your final thoughts? Yeah, just the same. I think, you know, uh, everything you stand for is just there through and through. If you peeled every layer away, just the, the authenticity and the courage and the determination um, of which so many people would love to have and admire in others. But um, I think you've taught so many people today, including me, um, to have new courage when I face Zach in the gym at the next session. <laughs> so, um, but it would be really glorious. Um, thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's my first ever podcast, so it's been a real privilege Yay. to work with you. Um, <laughs> and I hope I've been okay. Like, thank you so much for having me on. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope we've ignited your curiosity and broadened your perspectives. My guests and I provide this service to you for free. All we ask in return is that you share it now with one other leader you know, so they also benefit too. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your podcast platform. We value your feedback and invite you to connect with us through my website, jonathanperks.com, where you can sign up for your weekly podcast newsletter. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and thank you for joining us on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. You can hear another unique guest next Tuesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.